Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestoninzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe so we can help you master the art of selling. What separates the top sales performers from the rest? This is a question and a journey that I've been on for a number of years. And what I've found that separates the top 1%, the absolute high performers, the ones that continue to produce results day after day, week after the week, quarter after quarter, the ones that exceed target and continue to be the ones that everybody else is chasing, is actually a very simple thing that they do that's different to everybody else. Their relentless focus on self-development. Now, you might be listening to this going, what are you talking about the relentless focus for self-development? The one common characteristic that I've seen across high performers, across a variety of different industries across the world, is that high performers have this incredible desire to learn and an incredible desire to seek feedback and find ways that they can improve every single day. And that is what this week's episode is all about. We're diving into the realm of enablement. We're talking about sales enablement. And you're probably going, what the hell enablement? Somebody in my organization is responsible for enablement. And this is where you have a great opportunity because enablement today is crucial, right? If you're running an organization, you need to have a strong enablement team to onboard, to coach, to develop, to nurture, to embed and continue to embed the skills required for sellers to be the best they can be. But the reality is the enablement teams are stretched. They have so many people they need to cater for. And the data shows us that most sellers are only getting coaching once every 12 weeks. And when we think about that, that's not enough to move the needle. Coaching has a direct improvement. It has, it can enable you when you do coaching on a regular basis to move the needle in the right direction. So what do you do if you haven't got access to enablement or you don't have access to enablement at all because your organization hasn't invested in someone to help you from a coaching and development perspective. And this is where the opportunity sits for sellers today. This is where the opportunity sits in your own hands, is that self-development, that enablement, you can find yourself. And that's what we're talking to Roderick Jefferson about today, who's kind of one of the founders of the whole enablement, sales enablement initiative. We're gonna talk about what sellers can do to enable themselves to be the best they can be. And again, this is one of the key differences that will separate you from the rest. It's finding ways and finding content and finding ways to apply that content in real time and then taking the learning from that, figuring out what worked, what didn't work, and then again, continuing to apply that methodology of enablement. That's fundamentally what enablement is, right? It's about using the skills that is required and using it in real time and then learning and building off that so you continue to increase your capabilities. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. 
this is going to be a cracking episode. Enablement for me is, is such a critical part of the process. And again, you've heard me talk about this previously, that I want to be in control of my own destiny. And for me, learning is, is an absolute privilege. And it's such an incredible opportunity that we have because when we can learn from both the positives and negatives, it can improve our skill set. It's an enabler. So enjoy the episode, dive deep, take some notes, and remember, training without application is simply entertainment. And although we all want to be entertained, one of the reasons why you're listening to this podcast is to help you be the very best you can be. Welcome to the show, Roderick. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Luigi. Yeah, pretty pumped, mate. I know that we've we've tried to get together a few times in the past, but the 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 universe has never aligned, but we finally come together, mate. So I'm really pumped to share with our listeners, you know, everything sales enablement and how sellers can unlock more selling through greater enablement. So thank you for coming on our show. Again, my pleasure. This is my love, my passion. As the person that actually coined the phrase sales enablement globally, you can imagine how I feel watching my baby grow up. <laughs> That is so awesome, mate. So before we get into the topic of sales enablement, and I know um, it is a massive topic. It's one that, you know, continues. It's it's continuing to grow as a movement. But before we talk about, you know, that, can you tell us a bit more about how you started in the world of sales and sales enablement? You know, I'm like most, I did not go to uni to major in sales or sales enablement. <laughs> it's something you just kind of fall into and find the love. I actually, so I went, I finished up uni and needed to get a real job. And fortunately, my girlfriend at the time, her parents and her family worked at AT AT&T. So they said, we can get you a sales job. I'm like, well, I've done retail and I've talked a lot. So I think I could probably sell something. And so I went in as a BDR. So I've got a lot of love for BDRs. That is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Did well there, got promoted to AE, went to President's Club a couple of times, then got promoted to sales leader and promptly turned it down. I know everyone thinks I'm crazy, but it's because I love the process of selling more than I did taking down big deals. So what I did was talk to my VP into a regional training role by saying this, what if I could get people up to and ramped into uh, quota faster? What if I could get more people at quota? And what if I could send more people to president's club? So you have a hard time coming up with budget. And he said, you do that and you've got a new job. And I shook and I said, thank you. And I'm now a trainer. (laughs) <laughs> so I wanted to stay close to sales, but I didn't want to have to carry a quota. Yeah. But I never wanted to lose that that absolute touch of being in the muck and in the mire with sales. So yeah. that was the first one. And it took off from there. I've been blessed to have an incredible, incredible opportunity at some great companies. I've run sales training at Siebel Systems, Network Appliance, eBay, HP, Oracle, Salesforce, and Marketo. And then I realized, I think I'm getting a little too ivory towered. So I got this crazy, wild idea to go out and become a consultant. Did that for three years. Now I'm back in-house, and I'm the VP of field enablement at Netscope, a cybersecurity company. Well, there's not many people that can you know, rattle off those names on their CV. You've worked with some of the biggest companies that have invested a lot in enablement, which is insane. Roderick, I'd love to understand, you mentioned earlier that early in your career, you hit President's Club a few times. Walk us through, when you reflect on that time, why do you think you were able to achieve such incredible results? I think there were a couple of things. One, I was a pretty high profile athlete before I went into sales. As, surprise, surprise, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I already had this level of confidence 
I was already comfortable talking to people and I've always had a process driven mind. So I looked at sales as a process, right? So I started creating these kind of basic rudimentary templates so that I could scale and not have to essentially recreate the wheel every time. And so what I did was, and early on, I figured out the key to selling is not selling. It's actually having conversations. So, Mm -hmm. and I'll give it to AT&T. They do a phenomenal job of an eight week long onboarding process. And in that process, there was a couple of things that stuck out with me. One, it was discovering qualification is about asking the right questions. It's not about getting the right answers. Mm. And it's also, when I say right questions, it's questions that will lead to a deeper understanding of the prospect and what their pain is, not asking questions just so you can move the sale along. The second thing that I got out of that that sticks with me to this day is have a conversation, don't give a presentation. No one wants to be sold to. Mm. And the third piece that, that I've gotten along the way that started there is, you know, we do a great job in discovering qual of asking, what's the pain points? What's going on? What are the key um, initiatives going on right now? But I've realized over time, there's one question that gets left out that is an absolute game changer. So here's my top secret. So Mr. and Mrs. Customer, by doing business and partnering with my company, what will that mean for you personally? Mm-hmm. Will it get them out of the doghouse? Will it give them a higher profile in the company? Will it get them a promotion? Yep. But you leave that piece out and you only get half of the picture. Yeah, I, I, I love that, Roderick. I mean, for me, I'm a big believer in finding out the intrinsic motivator because that's what often drives people to take action. And if we think about selling, you know, often the biggest competitor that we have to deal with is not the competition. It's them just maintaining the status quo. It and is often, status quo. You know, maintaining the status quo is because the pain of change is too much. And we just keep things how it is. So that intrinsic motivator is key. And I love the fact that that question goes, you know, dives deep into that. I think for, for most, you know, when we look at sales is evolving quite fast and, and I'm of the belief, Roderick, that if you think about it, sales really hasn't changed much, the philosophy of selling, but the way in which we now need to engage with our customers has. Absolutely. Um, but, but we've had so, you know, when I first started in sales, in order to get information, it was actually quite hard. You had to order a book, wait for it to come in the mail, go to a bookshop, right? <laughs> oh, we're I now, remember those days. <laughs> we're now in a world where you can get so much content at, at your fingertips. Why is it that there is still a massive trust gap between buyers and sellers? We've seen the reports that showed 70, 80% of buyers still don't trust sellers. Lots of sellers are still struggling to create their own pipeline. Like we still have some fundamental issues occurring in our profession. When we're littered with so much information and content and learning, what are sellers doing for this to continue to be a problem? Well, I'll start with this stat. I read recently that 30%, 30-ish percent of prospects said that they would never even talk to a salesperson if they didn't have to. (laughs) That speaks volumes to me, which made me now go back and, and start sitting on more calls and to calls. And the reason I think this is, is because there are too many people trying to sell instead of trying to help. Look, we've never had the exposure to content and information and data the way we do today. And on top of that, selling has never been as personalized as it is today. Look, we're inviting each other into our homes now. 
You don't have the opportunity to go out for the cocktails or to go play golf or to take them out to a ball game or a football game. So you have to now sell what? You have to sell the experience that this prospect can only get Mm. by working with you and your company. There are too many people trying to sell products, trying to sell solutions, trying to sell platforms. Newsflash, prospects and customers, they don't buy products. They don't buy solutions. They don't buy platforms. What they buy is the opportunity to take away the pain that they're dealing with. So if we take it from that angle, right, and we say, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to then understand your pain. I'm going to diagnose the pain because I only get to play a doctor on TV. So (laughs) I will diagnose your pain. And then finally, I will give you a solution for that pain. And sometimes it's aspirin. Sometimes it's Vicodin. Sometimes it's an extraction to stop the pain right now. I think the reason they don't want to deal with salespeople is we get to that edge, but we just don't step off the cliff. We do all the diagnosis, but we don't say, okay, I've seen this before. We're not hoping this works on your dime. You're not a guinea pig. We have references, which I don't think people use enough. Mm. We have testimonials of people that look just like you that had the same level of whether it's minimal or acute pain. I can let you talk to them. Don't just take it from me. Listen to them and how we help them solve that pain with the diagnosis. If we did more of that and we added in that personal piece, and that's another piece that gets left out. We only want to talk about the business, right? What's the event? How do we create a compelling event? You cannot create a compelling event. Mm -hmm. Not today. It's just not possible. So if you go back to that personal piece and understanding what's in it for them, rather than just trying to close a deal that you can, so you can go ring the bell or put something on the board, your entire sales approach changes. So you're listening to this, you're thinking to yourself, you know, maybe I have been that as Larry, one of our friends, Larry Levine says, you know, empty suit, commission. I love Larry. Right? Big fan of Larry. We're having dinner yeah. for Friday. Oh, man. I haven't seen him for a while, but no, I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of his, you know, the philosophy that he puts out there because it resonates with me so much, right? The fact that absolutely empty suits, absolutely, and authenticity matters more than anything. What can sellers do? Because obviously, there's something happening from an onboarding perspective. From you know, sales is it's a fast growing career now. There's more sales roles people than ever before, right? Like we are seeing mm-hmm. kind of the evolution of sales is becoming a sexy. SaaS has made it a really sexy place to live. But what can sellers do to change? So if they if they are listening to this going, you know what, hands up, Roderick, that's me. I've been out there not diving deep enough and just trying to sell and 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 book an appointment or or, or sell and get my quota. What do I need to do to make that change? I think there are a couple of things. First of all, I'll, I'll quote something that a sales leader said to me recently. I want my people to research with their ego and I want them to sell with their heart. And let me explain that. Go with your ego that says, I need to know everything that I can possibly know about these people. I need to know them better than they know each other. Mm. But sell with your heart. Why? Because there has never been a time in the history of this world where selling with empathy, humanity, and EQ has meant more than it does today. People have access to information. They're not expecting you to come in and overwhelm them. They're expecting you to listen and then again diagnose and then provide a solution. The second thing I think we've got to change is it has to start with the first line manager. And we have to get away from managing and move to leading, first and foremost. Because think about it, the rubber meets the road with that first line leader. What's important to my leader is imperative to me. 
And if I mm-hmm. want to step into their role, I'm going to do, and I'm going to say exactly what I see them saying because it got them there. I need sales leaders to listen just for a moment. I need you to own the adoption, the execution, and the positive modeling of what you want your people to become. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. I think, and I look, I'm I'm a seller at heart, mate. I, I've I've spent my entire career selling. I think the the I went from sales to leadership very early on in my career. I was the number one performer. My boss got tossed out. I was I was told, hey, guess what? You're running this team. No training or anything. The only the only leadership example I took in was the leaders that I had that were really bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so I obviously didn't want to model that behavior. But again, I made it one of my own sort of missions in my career was that I owned my own learning. And one of the things that I find, Roderick, is that there's a lot of sellers, especially because I'm training and coaching, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them, is outside the realm of their own company, of what their own enablement team delivers, Mm -hmm. they're not doing anything themselves. How important is it for sellers to own their own enablement and just don't do what's required and tick the box at work. I love that you asked that. I actually dedicated half of a chapter in my new book to this topic alone. And it starts this way. Never allow anyone else to drive your career. Not your manager, not your CEO, not the board, not people around you, because no one has the vested interest in your career that you have. And then I will now align this to a sports analogy. Let's talk about football, right? No team just goes out and plays football on game day. What do they do? They work out. They make sure that they hydrate. They make sure that their their physical fitness is is in place, and they practice. Games are not won on game day. They're Mm -hmm. won on every other day that leads up to game day. So it's the same thing now I'll equate to selling. You can't just assume that you're being fed by enablement. They're going to give you everything you need to know. No. Read books. Talk to subject matter experts. Go and have lunch, even if it's virtual lunch over Zoom, with the absolute rock stars that are in your industry. Now, mm-hmm. here's one that most don't think about. We all have a, a strong network on LinkedIn. Reach out to the sales folks that you see that resonate with you in your network that are not in the same industry as you and ask mm-hmm. them questions around what made them successful and more importantly, what did they do that didn't work well so that you don't step in those same holes? Yeah, this is incredible advice. And I, I think it's I think in my career, Roderick, I think the big aha moment that I had, the big penny drop moment, which really I think elevated my career, was when I completely stopped focusing on myself mm. and started really trying to understand the psychology of the buyer. And, you know, researching and becoming relentless in my attempt to know what was happening in the buyer's world. You know, you read about sales is about trust. There's got to be an element of trust between two people. It's the foundation. Absolutely. And trust comes from empathy, but I found it difficult to empathize what I didn't understand. And so I really made it my, my kind of my mission just to learn about my buyers, understand what was happening in their world, because A, it allowed me to ask those questions. As in your role as enablement, how, like, how much effort do you go in understanding the customer set, the buyer personas? 
oh, that is the end all to be all. Everything yeah. should start with the buyer's journey. And that's what I've noticed over the last 10 years or so is companies are trying to shoehorn their buyers into their sales process, their sales methodology, their sales stages. We'll call it selling motions. <laughs> the problem is if it doesn't begin at the buyer's journey and you don't adjust to the way that they buy, who buys? Is it a buying committee? Is it an individual? Do they have a buying season, right? And if you're talking about things like federal government, et cetera, they've got a buying season. So you've got to understand when it's important to them. Because at the end of the day, if we don't have prospects, we don't have a job. <laughs> so it should start this way. Start up high at the buyer's journey. Then under that buyer's journey, you talk about the sales methodology, then the sales process, then the selling stages, then all of the assets and tools that you get from marketing, product marketing. And then at the foundation of all of that is enablement. We are the concrete that holds the entire house up. but Without those other components, we don't exist. So we all have to work in concert to make sure that we are always focused on the buyer first, second, third, fourth, et cetera. Because mm -hmm. when you lose sight of what's important, it's really easy to get arrogant and say, hey, they need us. I can't believe their company exists without our XYZ product. And you know what they're saying? <laughs> I could care less about your product. I don't buy products. I don't buy solutions. I buy solutions to my pain. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a really important topic, right? Because what we've seen, I think, and I've got a, I've, I've got a, a prospect. They've actually reached out to me about three weeks ago, Roderick. They're a huge electrical sort of distribution business. So they, they sell mm -hmm. various products to the um, manufacturing industry and a whole range of industries. And the sort of CMO reached out and said, hey, we need to chat about a playbook. And I sort of asked him sort of what's, what's motivated you to inquire why the playbook? He said, well, actually, because our whole sales force part before COVID was a coffee and donut sales force. Oh yeah, absolutely. We would visit our, our customers with coffee and donuts and have a chat and take orders. He goes, what we've seen is our cust our salespeople haven't been visiting our customers and our customers are buying just as much as they were before. Yeah. The and buying cycle doesn't stop. They're just buying from someone else now. Yeah. And he said, and so we've realized that the structure that we had before is probably not the right structure moving forward. We need to change that structure because we've got, we've got sales reps on, you know, high wages. We're paying fully maintained vehicles, mobile phones, et cetera. And our customers obviously don't need that anymore. We need to change the way in which we engage with our customers. Right. The entire game has changed. The risk that now presents, there's an opportunity there for sellers to really adapt and evolve, but the risk now for sellers that don't enable themselves to evolve is they could potentially make themselves redundant. Oh, you just struck a nerve. Mm. And that's because the entire world has shifted. And I don't believe personally that there will be a new normal because mm. that infers that it something that we've seen before that we can now rest upon. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. I do believe, however, that there is a next normal, right? Yeah. And by the way, virtual selling is not going anywhere for quite a while, if at all, right? Even, even when we go back, there will always be a virtual component. So I think there's kind of four things to keep in mind in, in this virtual world that's shifted. First of all, we've got to teach our sellers how to build rapport inside of their own cohorts differently than the way we used to. You can go to boot camp, you can get to know each other, you can have cocktails mm -hmm. and things of that sort. You can't anymore. 
So it's now incumbent upon the sales leaders and the enablement team to make sure that every one of the virtual engagements that you have from onboarding to continuing education to leadership coaching has three components. One, that it's interactive. Two, that it's engaging. And three, it's edutaining. Because our, look, our mind spans are getting shorter and shorter, yeah. right? It's not edutaining. What are you doing? It's virtual. You're inviting me to multitask. So that's one. The second piece is you've got to help all of your sellers to build a virtual community different than before. Mm-hmm. You know how you go, you go in into a new company, you go through onboarding, you go through boot camp, and you've got that cohort, kind of like when you were in uni, right? And you had your, your first, second, third, fourth year. Well, the same thing happens in sales, and we all kind of grow up together. Well, you've Mm -hmm. got to figure out how to do that and maintain that in a virtual environment today. The third is, and we just talked about it, you've got to figure out how to fight virtual fatigue. Zoom fatigue Mm -hmm. is real. I'm on eight, nine a day. I've gotten to a point now where I will send a, a meeting request with no Zoom link, and it freaks people out. And they reach out, I don't have a Zoom link. I know. Can we just talk on the phone? (laughs) <laughs> you, you uh, want to just talk yes yeah. i don't want to be uh, on camera i just want to have a conversation it's funny you say this so i had i got a text message here from yesterday Roderick. i had a customer he's like is there any link mate because i didn't put the link i said i was hoping we could dial you both in by phone <laughs> yeah. and it freaks people out doesn't it yeah. <laughs> right? um, but, but, but but there's one more and, and before we leave yeah. this the final piece is and, and it hits directly on what you said Regardless of the the modality of sales, whether it's virtual, face-to-face, coffee and donuts, playing golf, whatever it is, it's still about customer service and customer support. It's just done in a different way. And the issue is the level of customer support that is expected by our prospects and our customers has not dropped. It's gone up. Yeah. And I actually want to, I think some of the points that you've talked about on how sales leaders and companies need to create the right environment for their sellers to engage from an onboarding perspective. I actually think sales professionals need to be, need to be creating that same experience for their customers because yeah, how do we now differentiate in a world where I can jump on zoom, you can jump on zoom as a seller. Yeah. Like, how do we differentiate? Yes, we can all send a video message. We can all like, so we've got to, uh, and I think this is the- But that's not even a differentiator anymore. Not right? at all, not at all. Everyone's yeah. doing that. And, and I think this is where I am most excited because, you know, with change comes opportunity. With opportunity comes a learning. And I can now go, look, I've, I can't, I'm 39 years old. I've been selling a long time. Um. And there was moments in my career I thought, have I kind of hit that hit the ceiling where in this particular vertical or this particular role, I've got nothing to learn. And I hate that feeling because it's like my growth is now stalled. What I've loved about this last 12 months, it's it, look, I've there's been some days I've been kicking and screaming, right? But what I've loved is I feel like now I'm in a whole new world of learning and I'm back to the days where I was just a sponge, you know, learning off others, seeing new things. And again, I think this is where self-enablement is what's going to separate the top 1% from the rest. Oh, absolutely. And and if you don't take this time to learn and you don't become a, a perpetual learner during this time, you have missed a grand opportunity, right? Because I've, I've been in enablement for 25 years now. 
I still learn something new every single day. But it goes back to early, what I said earlier about driving your own career, right? Yep. If you don't do that, then you won't seek out opportunities to grow and become better and more well-versed in more of a consultative seller. And we talk mm-hmm. about that, but I talk about it differently, right? I, I talk about it kind of from four different angles. One, it's in, in order to move from selling to helping, I think you start with focus. And when I say focus, I'm talking about focus your energy, your goals, and your deliverables on things that you can impact that directly align with your customer's goal, excuse me, your customer and your company's goals, and focus on that customer experience we talked about. Everything else outside of that is just noise. The second piece is, I say unite. And I know it sounds like an odd word, but let me give a little color to it. Relationships, as we know, are the backbone of success for sales, right? And as I said earlier, there has never been a time where leading with humanity, empathy, and EQ has meant more than it does today. The next word I'll throw out is adjust. I want sellers to pivot to delivering deeper value around improving their own discovery and qualification skills, focusing on helping their prospects increase profit reduce costs, mitigate risk, and most importantly, drive business outcome focused Mm. conversations around helping your customers adjust to this virtual experience. This is hard for them too. get away from the bits, bites and bots. Don't talk about your products. They don't care what you name your solutions. Focus on (laughs) their experience. And if you stay there, you're always going to find a way to win. I'm not saying you're going to bat a thousand. No one's going to close every deal. And the final piece is to my sales enablement folks. I need us to incorporate. And what I mean there is commit to designing, building, and incorporating an innovative customer experience into your go-to-market strategy in order to differentiate your company as the clear thought leader in your space. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff, Rodrick. And it's, it's, I, I, I watched an interview between Tony Hughes and, and a gentleman called Simon Tate. Simon's the president of Adobe APAC. Mm-hmm. And he asked him about, you know, prospecting, how many sellers reach out to you and how many meetings do you take? He says, well, 99% of, of salespeople that reach out to him, he rejects. He says, the 1% I take a meeting with are the sellers that talk to me about outcomes and my there business it is. objectives. There it Everybody is. else talks to me about what they do the features, he goes, I don't need that. But what don't I need care. is the outcomes, right? Yeah. And we and, and I think now more than ever before, even though we're in a virtual environment, unfortunately, we're busier than what we were when we were in the office. Right? We're actually backing up, you oh, know, absolutely. I see back to backs Zoom because we go, we've got more time now. We can we can right. fit in more things. Right. And we've got and there's no travel to the office and moving around. And there's no one dropping by your your desk for an impromptu meeting. So you have nothing but time to have your meeting now. Mm. The other thing that I've, I've, I've noticed, Luigi, is I'd love to see sellers do more A-B testing mm. of their messaging. This will help you, one, to understand the ICP, right, the ideal client or customer profile, beyond just what marketing or product marketing gives you. Mm. Try different messaging, and please don't do what people have been doing early on in COVID. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is, you know, I, I, I feel for where you are. I hope all is well with you and your family. That was great at first. It feels disingenuous now. Yeah. Right. 
be uh, authentic back to our, our friend, Larry, be authentic because people know, and we all know when we're being sold to, mm-hmm. right. But try messaging from two, three different angles and see what clicks and what resonates, see what's getting you callbacks, see what's getting you in the door, see what's getting you um, appointments and conversations. And to that point, don't go in to give a presentation. Don't go mm-hmm. in and throw up a bunch of slides, right? Go in and ask questions first, earn the right to then move the yeah. conversation forward. It's like we walk in and say, instead of saying, hey, would you want to go out on a date? Hi, my name is Roderick, will you marry me? <laughs> How crazy does that sound? <laughs> but that's what we've been doing in sales. Absolutely, Absolutely. And, and, and again, for any seller listening to this episode, the excitement of the opportunity in front of them, because we are now living in a world where the seller is becoming a marketer because you know the ICP Absolutely. research, the the, the the you know the copywriting c- component, writing different copy, looking at subject lines. I am not going to leave that up to my marketer to do on my own prospecting, no. and and I'm going to own that. I'm going because a it allows me to see what's working, what's not, and so I think again this is where I I see the evolution of selling is going to that next level is we are evolving and adding that marketing element into our skill set. And again, sellers that can embrace this opportunity, you know, that complex problem solving, AB testing, copywriting, ICPs, et cetera, researching, they're the ones that are just going to flourish. And regardless of what happens from an automation perspective, they will separate themselves from the crowd. So I think this is an incredible episode, Roderick, that I want every seller who, who listens to me, to listen to this episode, obviously, but I think Thanks. there's a lot of golden takeaways, mate. But can I, before we go there, can I, can I give them two things not to do? Please tell yes. <laughs> One, do not send a LinkedIn connection. As soon as you connect, send a response. Hey, I'm glad we connected. I'm honored <laughs> to be in your network. Can you buy this from me? Can I get 15 minutes? Look, I, I get those all the time. And you know what happens? People get deleted quickly. Because remember, LinkedIn is about networking and networking is about learning more about the other person than about your, than talking about yourself. The second piece is when you are A-B testing, figure out what works, but don't stick just to those two. You have to constantly evolve. And you said it best, Luigi. What gets our attention? We've got about eight seconds to determine whether or not I'm actually going to look at your email. So one, make sure that you have an intriguing Subject line, not something that, that's corny or ridiculous, right? And that seems to be coming more and more lately. And the second piece is most people are reading their emails on their phones. Mm. Don't send me a long diatribe. If I have to scroll past the crease, I'm not reading your email. I'm not going to, and today with the way cybersecurity is, I'm not clicking on a link. So sending me a link will do nothing for you. Hey, we've got this great testimonial. Click here. Like, no, thank you. No, I don't know where that link's going to. Keep it simple, keep it concise, and I always keep it to three components when I'm writing an email or when I, I'm speaking or whatever it may be. What do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel? And finally, call to action, what do I want them to do? Mm-hmm. And you can do that in 100 words and less. Absolutely. My best prospecting emails are 75 to 100 words. Should never you be know, more than 100 words. I'm, never. Yeah, you know, there's no cheesy tactics. This isn't. This is a cold email. Nothing like that. 
you know? So this is amazing, Roderick. And I think, again, just going back to what you said, pitch slapping, you know, the uh, the pitch nobody <laughs> yes. likes... Nobody yes. likes to be you know, thrown up on immediately when they can. I, I, I'm, and I, I'm like you, I'm getting it constantly, but I'm getting like heaps of crypto people. You know, so. Oh, yeah, loads of them. <laughs> and, and real yeah. estate agents. I don't know why yeah. real estate agents will want to connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah. But mate, this has been awesome. So where can our listeners engage, find more about you? Obviously your book, we'll put show notes of where they can buy your book, but what's the best place for them to engage with you? I always say, if you can't find me on social media, you're not trying. Because <laughs> I'm all over. So LinkedIn, Roderick Jefferson. On Instagram, Roderick underscore J underscore associates. On Twitter, at the voice of Rod. And if you're looking for my book that is in soft copy, in paperback, and ebook, and soon to come in audiobook, you can simply go on to Amazon.com, type in Roderick Jefferson, and the book will come up. Sales enablement 3.0. Fantastic. We'll make sure we put that there and Roderick, I just want to say thank you for the contribution um, you make to our community. You know, selling is more than just sales for a lot of us. It's our it's our career. It plays a big part of our life. And the content that you create and put out helps us be the best we can be. So I want to say thanks for everything that you do for us. Thank you so much. It is my passion. And as long as there are folks willing to learn, I'm going to continue putting it out. And if I'm putting things out that are not highly useful, let me know. I don't want to put things out just for the sake of putting out content. Thank you, brother. Thank you.